You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. In this week's episode of Talking Taiwan, Anthony Cao, the founder and editor-in-chief of Cinema Escapist, is back. I've asked him to recommend films to familiarize people with Taiwan. So he'll be recommending films about Taiwan that best represent certain decades, eras, or significant historical events. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you, Felicia. I want to have you talk a little bit about Taiwanese films. So my question for you is, if using film to familiarize someone with Taiwan, what films would you recommend? And maybe you could break that down further with film recommendations that represent certain decades, eras, or significant historical events. Yeah, definitely. So I have five film recommendations that we can go through. And my selection criteria here are that I want these to represent various periods of filmmaking after the lifting of martial law. There are definitely films that have come out in Taiwan before the lifting of martial law in 1987, and we could spend a lot of time talking about those, but I figure we should talk about some films that might be a little bit more accessible that people can actually watch and then learn about Taiwan as a result. So that's one selection criteria. One is I want to highlight some films that come from a variety of genres so that different listeners can find whatever fits their tastes. And the third criteria is to highlight a diverse array of historical and cultural phenomena and events that help illuminate the diversity of Taiwan's culture, politics, and history. Okay, great. So I'm curious to hear what your um, film recommendations are. Great. Let's start with number one. So my first recommendation would be A City of Sadness. This is a film that came out in 1989, and it follows a family in northern Taiwan in the wake of Taiwan's handover to the Republic of China government after World War II. And this is probably one of the most famous Taiwanese films ever made. And it has a lot of historical, social, linguistic, as well as cinematic significance. So it is very historically significant because it's the first cinematic depiction of the 228 incident and also the white terror. Um, this 1989 is a... If you know about Taiwanese history as uh, uh, 1987 is when martial law was lifted and the process of democratization um, you know, started happening more apace. And this was just like two years after that. So it was not permissible to talk in public, uh, especially in like a mass cinematic medium about things like 228 and the white terror. So a city of sadness really broke ground there. What's interesting about the way it does that, though, is that it's it, it does so in a very silent and muted way. And at least from my perspective, uh, it's very accurate to the sense of incomplete transitional justice and like the state of discourse about 228 at that time in the sense that it was not something that folks were able to talk about openly. And the film was basically reflecting that situation in you know through its artistic choice of silence there's literally a mute character scenes were muteness 
and, and silence really play a compelling role in illustrating the terror of the situation at that time. From a cinematic perspective, it is also a very salient example of a new Taiwan cinema, which is a movement of Taiwan cinema that uh, occurred in the 1980s-ish up until the early 90s. It depends on who you talk to for the exact boundaries. Uh, but this was really where Taiwan cinema started going onto the world stage and gaining a lot of attention from a broader critical audience. I believe A City of Sadness did, I, I forget the exact festival, I think it might have been Venice, but it had like an international tour. It won uh, critical praise across the world. And that was uh, not something that had happened before for films made by Taiwanese directors and actually set in Taiwan as opposed to, for example, focusing on diaspora in the U.S. Linguistically speaking, it's a very interesting film because that uh, it incorporates the usage of the Taiwanese language. And under martial law, uh, the funny thing about the history of Taiwan film is that between maybe 1950 and like 1970-ish, most of the films made in Taiwan were actually in Taiwanese as opposed to Mandarin. Mm. Uh, but starting like 1970s, 1980s, the government cracked down on Taiwanese language media harder. Mm. And you see basically that whole tradition dying out. So uh, linguistic politics is something to look out for a lot in Taiwanese film and A City of Sadness sort of like helps folks uh, get an idea of where this slight rebirth of Taiwanese makes an appearance within the new Taiwan cinema movement, which is really focused on depicting authentic local stories as opposed to more propagandistic or China-focused narratives. Oh, interesting point. Speaking of language, I just wanted to ask you about one of the terms that you used when you were describing the City of Sadness. Um, you described it as a following a family in northern Taiwan in the wake of Taiwan's handover to the ROC. I'm just curious about that term, handover. Yeah, well, that's a... The whatever you want to call the the process through which Taiwan came under control of the ROC government is probably politically fraught in the sense that I think the official English translation of uh, whatever um, you know, the the official KMT narrative is is like retrocession. Uh, you could also call it a return, but if you think about the nuances of those terms, retrocession and return imply that you know Taiwan was part of the Chinese polity before with the re handover. Maybe I use that to be a more neutral and generic term in the sense that, uh, you know, it's, there's a piece of territory that got handed over to the control of a different government. Right. I mean, there's a lot of debate there because um, there's also the whole thing about how Taiwan was colonized by Japan and Japan um, surrendered Taiwan, but it's not clear who they surrendered it to, to the Allied forces. And the, basically the Allied forces allowed them to come to Taiwan. So there's a lot of nuance there. So I just wanted to kind of <laughs> touch on that for my listeners. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to mention the Ho Shao Shen Taiwan Trilogy? Folks who are really interested in A City of Sadness and find that they really like the movie might want to consider checking out other, there, there are two other films that are 
uh, along with A City of Sadness, formed this informal Taiwan history trilogy by the same director. So there's a film called Good Men, Good Women, which is about some Taiwanese who actually go to China during the uh, Second Sino-Japanese War, and there's a lot of political messiness that ensues there. Um, there's this, the other member of the trilogy besides good men, good women and a city of sadness is called the puppet master. And that profiles a like master of traditional puppetry in Taiwan. So these are all, um, films that highlight different aspects of not only Taiwan's history, but also culture. And it comes from the same director who's very famous in, in Taiwanese cinema. Great. And, um, what's the next film that you would recommend? The next film I would recommend is E.E. It came out 10 years after City of Sadness in 1999, and it's also a family-focused story. It traces the life of a regular family in Taipei around the late 1990s, and it really centers around this disillusioned middle-aged engineer and has a lot of mirroring and doubling, uh, as maybe implied by the name, if you know Man and EE is like one one and uh, there's like mirroring in terms of both narratives like this middle-aged engineer is sort of pursuing his old flame and meanwhile his daughter is going on a date like there's sort of parallels there but there's also visual mirrorings so it's one of the most intricately made and also very famous Taiwan films and the filmmaker Edward Young, he's uh, was director of the film. He was actually an electrical engineer in the U.S. before becoming a director in Taiwan. Oh, I so, see. yeah, <laughs> you know, for any listeners who have film aspirations and are living out their parents' dreams, working as an electrical engineer, there there is hope. <laughs> you can look up Edward Young. So, uh, I think his story is is very fascinating, um, and it is in terms of just when it came out and like the cinematic era it belongs to. I mentioned that A City of Sadness, it belongs to this like 80s period of a new Taiwan cinema. EE is more part of the second new wave of Taiwan cinema that followed in the wake of that first new wave. And there are a bunch of other films uh, that are really great uh, that came out around this period of time in like, you know, 1999, 2000, 2003-ish. like three times, for example, as by the same director, Hou Xiaoxin, as uh, A City of Sadness. So I think E.E. just happens to be a sentimental favorite as far as representations of that cinematic era go. And for folks who were alive in the 1990s and were in Taiwan, it's uh, like a nice mirror and portrait and snapshot of Taiwan at that particular point in time. Like it's it's filmed in Taipei. Like I think one of the the, the apartment that the family lives in is actually near Taita, and you can like go and see it in Taiwan if you want to. <laughs> okay, moving along, shall we talk about the two thousands? Yeah, let's talk about the two thousands. My next recommendation, which falls into two thousands, is Cape Number Seven. This is a movie that came out in 2008, and it tells the love story between a postman and a Japanese singer in the southern tip of Taiwan. And their story mirrors a series of undelivered letters between a Japanese teacher and a Taiwanese woman back from Taiwan's colonial period under Japanese control. And this is a really, really significant movie in 
recent Taiwanese cinematic history because between when around when EE came out and up until 2008, it was a fairly dry period for Taiwanese cinema. And this movie, Cape Number Seven, marked a rebirth of Taiwanese cinema, as well as a turn to perhaps slightly more commercially appealing, but still very socially significant stories. Cape Number Seven was a huge box office success. It's not like an art film that went and toured a lot of festivals and ends up in the Criterion Collection like A City of Sadness or Yee. It's like a you know more of a blockbuster, but it is a fascinating portal into Taiwan-Japan relations and colonial history, as well as the North-South societal divide in Taiwan. Uh, these are things that you see come up uh, as trends or currents inside of the broader repertoire of, chi- uh, of, of Taiwanese cinema, where um, you know Taiwan's relations with Japan, as well as the economic, linguistic, and social divides between northern Taiwan as dominated by Taipei and, you know, the south of Taiwan, um, which like still plays out in political divisions to this day, uh, is something that, you know, this this narr- this movie, Cape Number Seven, like addresses really well. In fact, the first scene of the movie is basically the postman who's like a you know, like a down in his luck guitarist, like smashing his guitar and like leaving Taipei and cursing it. Uh, and going south, which is a contrast to a lot of there's a lot of like Taiwanese films from from earlier times where the movement is from from south to north because that mirrors a lot of the economically driven migration that happens. And Cape Number Seven is a great place just to like have a approachable entry point to learn about those dynamics. Interesting. Um, and next. The next film that I recommend is Sidik Bale, which is a 2011 film, and it's actually by the same director as Cape Number Seven. I was was thinking hard about whether or not to put two films from the same director, but I figured this one is probably worth doing so. It's based on a historical incident, a 1930s Aboriginal uprising against the Japanese called the Usa Incident, and it's very different in genre and tone from Cape Number Seven. It is one of the most violent action movies I've ever seen. So if that's not your thing, then maybe watch some of the other movies on this list. But I want to highlight this film because it is a blockbuster mainstream representation of Aborigines in Taiwanese society, history, and cultural memory. And that's become a very significant current in Taiwan's current struggles for identity and self-definition to distinguish away from China, leaning more into Aboriginal identity and Southeast Asian connections is something that uh, folks in different parts of Taiwan's political spectrum have latched onto. And you see that actually reflected in cinema. There are like a smattering of other films focused on Aboriginal narratives um, that are more artistic than Cedric Ballet, but Cedric Ballet was a huge, huge blockbuster and actually got shortlisted for the Oscar, uh, the best foreign film Oscar in the year that it came out. So we got some international attention as well. Great. And um, you have one more recommendation for 2000s? 
Yeah, so this moves into the 2010s. The final recommendation that I have in this list of five films is On Happiness Road. This is a animated film that came out in 2017. So all the others are live action. I wanted to add some diversity with this animated uh, story, which is a retelling of Taiwan's modern history from the perspective of a girl who grows up in a house literally on this road called Happiness Road, at least inside the film. And it might be very resonant for folks who are part of the Taiwanese diaspora because she actually immigrates to the U.S. and then returns to Taiwan. And what's really fascinating about this film is like the character, the main character is literally born on the day that Chiang Kai-shek dies. So her, her life story is uh, a convenient way to latch onto a lot of significant events in Taiwan's history and cultural memory over the past, you know, 40-ish years. Um, the movie has not just you know, diaspora experiences, but also characters that highlight Taiwan's relations with the U.S. military. For folks who didn't know, the U.S. military actually based troops in Taiwan before the cessation of diplomatic relations um, in the late 1970s. So there were uh, some dynamics there. It has Aboriginal connections uh, connecting back to um, what I mentioned earlier with Sidik Bale, and also features some characters who are Southeast Asian. So this is like a whole other dimension of Taiwan's evolving cultural and social fabric of new immigrants from Southeast Asia uh, who have become part of Taiwanese society. And you know, there's a lot of um, things to navigate about uh, that, that dynamic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a film that's pretty heartfelt, very approachable, and just happens to be able to talk about all these different historical, cultural, social things that you can then learn about and be you know, motivated to learn more about as a result of enjoying the story. Great. Thank you so much for all these recommendations. I think just from listening to your commentary, people have learned a little bit about Taiwan. And hopefully there's something there for all of my listeners to go check out. I would really encourage my listeners to go check out Cinema Escapist because you have a lot of great articles about Taiwanese films and television. I also noticed that you have a couple of best movies of the years there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are entry points to help people learn more about uh, films in depth inside of the other articles that we have. So you can definitely check out our writing and let us know if there are films about Taiwan, TV shows about Taiwan, or just cultural, political, historical issues that you'd like us to cover. Oh, wonderful. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with my audience about Cinema Escapist or about Taiwan film specifically? Uh, I think Taiwan film is in a fairly interesting place right now. In 2020, Taiwan being one of the few places in the world that never had to lock down was able to still release films and have people go to theaters. So that created a unique opportunity for local filmmaking to flourish because there is really no meaningful foreign competition. And I think that over the past couple of years, you know, starting with Cape Number 7, that, that started a slow progression towards more locally focused filmmaking. And there's a lot of narratives 
being made today that probably wouldn't have been made before for political reasons. For example, there are more politically related films that are coming out now. And that's something I've actually written about for both Cinema Escapish and, and, and other publications in that Taiwan historically has been very reluctant to make politically natured films and TV shows. And, and that's due to commercial influence from China. But now as Taiwan and China sort of decouple more and spurred by the pandemic uh, decouple, um, that's opened up a window of opportunity for folks to tell more interesting stories that have political significance. Like China is still Taiwan's largest trading partner by far, so that influence won't go away. But we're seeing a lot of interesting things happening in Taiwan right now, and uh, it will be very fascinating to see how the landscape evolves over the next couple of years as the geopolitical landscape also evolves. Once again, can you let people know how they can find out more about you and Cinema Escapist? Cinema Escapist is located at www.cinemaescapist.com. We are also on Twitter at Cinema Escapist, no dots, no dashes, no nothing. And also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cinema Escapist. Again, no dots, no dashes, just Cinema Escapist. So thank you so much for sharing all that, Anthony. It was really wonderful having you back on the podcast. Thank you, Felicia. It was great talking with you. I've been speaking with Anthony Cow, the founder and editor-in-chief of Cinema Escapist. To learn more about Anthony, Cinema Escapist, and the films he's recommended, visit our website, Talking Taiwan. There we'll list any links related to items mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or better yet, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.